Well, good morning. Uh, some of you may be new, and some folks may not know me, but my name is David Whited, and uh, my wife Sharon and I and our three kids have been here at Emmanuel, I think, for six years now, so we're, we're members, um, and uh, it is a real gift to be able to preach this morning. I work in the business world. I spent many years in ministry, but I work in the business world now, and most of my time is taken up by that and uh, by family life, and so I don't often get to preach, and so I'm really grateful for the opportunity this morning. I'm honored to be a part of this Psalms series. Um, before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, I'm grateful to be able to preach this uh, from this series of psalms. This Psalm 148, we find ourselves in Psalm 148. It's in this cadence of these psalms here at the end of the, of the Psalter that all start with praise the Lord. It's almost like going to hear the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and they're playing a piece and it sounds like, wah, bah, 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 and it all comes to a crescendo and you think it's done, it's done. And you know they whip it back up and it's not done. You've got these little psalms here at the end uh, that just keep praise going all the way. And this, this was the songbook. This is the songbook for the people of God. I want us to keep that in mind this morning as we, as we enter into what the psalmist is trying to help us do in Psalm 148. Um, we just recently got back from vacation, and when I say recently, I mean like 9.30 last night. Um, and uh, uh, we, went, uh, we, we went for two weeks. We're really blessed to have an extended vacation. Went out to spend some time with Sharon's family in Philadelphia, and then went over to D.C., um, and then got to go to the beach for like a week um, in Delaware. And it was really great. So we drove back from Delaware yesterday. It was a beautiful time together. But as we were leaving... Uh, the city of Chicago for this out and back that we were doing. Um, we were driving up to downtown, and I have this practice. I instituted it several years ago. I don't actually know when it started. But anytime the skyline of Chicago comes into view and we're all together as a family, I, I, let, I try to make my southern mouth uh, like make the most Chicago sounds it can possibly make. And I say, look, it's our beautiful city of Chicago. Like, and all the kids, at first they hated it, but now they're kind of into it. And they're like, if they see it before I do, they're like, dad, you didn't say the thing about our beautiful city of Chicago. But I love this town. And I want them to love this town, right? And, and that love for this city is like getting deep inside of them. Like they're, they, they love it, I think, as much as I do. Maybe a few of them love it more than I do, right? And so when I looked up and we were driving out of town for this two-week vacation and I said, hey, kids, it's our beautiful city of Chicago, one of them, the most homebody of them, uh, said, Dad, if this city is so beautiful and so great, why are we leaving? Why are we going anywhere? <laughs> This is a valid question. This is a good question. Those of you that are parents, you know when your kids ask these questions and they kind of mean it kind of off the cuff, but you're like, actually, that's quite a profound question. And you kind of take it and you put it back there for later. Um, this became even more important question for me. Like when we were, when I was reading posts about how great the weather was here for the last two weeks of Chicago, and we were schlepping for miles between monuments in Washington, D.C. in 100 degree heat, I was like, yeah, why are we here? Why are we not back in Chicago? 
Anyway, so I started thinking about this. Like, why do we do this? Why do we do these out and backs, right? These leave where we are and go out and come back. Like, why do we do this? What is it about this that's so important and so special to us? And Karen Stein is a sociologist and a researcher. and She's got a great book called Getting Away From It All, Vac- Vac- Vacations and Identity, which is a treatment of the whole thing of vacations that only a sociologist could pull off, right? And she says, she describes what happens on an out and back, right? She says, it can create a flexibility, both mental flexibility and flexibility of social structures that allows us to see things in a different way, have different experiences, or do things a little bit differently. I experienced this in one of the houses we stayed in our vacation had this massive sectional sofa. I actually took a picture of it and sent it to some of my friends. I was like, I love this couch. When I got home, I looked at our couch, at our small couch, and I was like, you know, I don't have to sit in the same place I always sit on this couch while I'm watching the news tonight. I can sit in a different place. But it was all because my imagination had been expanded by this incredible giant sofa. One of my kids walked in the room and said, uh, you're not allowed to sit there. You have to sit where you always sit. And so I was like, okay, okay. So I know you all have experienced this too, right? This, this transformation that happens when you go somewhere and you experience new things and you eat new things and you see new things and, and, and your world, our worlds kind of get expanded. And not only does it allow us to see external things differently, right? When we go out and back. But we also see ourselves a bit differently. She talks about how when we go on these sort of out and backs like this, we almost get the opportunity to try on some different types of identities, right? We get to explore a different part of our own identity in a bit of a different way. And I think on this trip, I I saw that with my kids where they went and were with my wife's family. They don't get to be with them very often. And so their sense of like that family identity was deepened. And their identity as Americans, I think, was probably deepened by all everything they were surrounded with in D.C. and their, their beach, whatever their beach identity is, was, you know, expanded there. Um, but this is a thing that happens. This is a thing that happens when we go on these little out and backs. And I know we can all probably call up instances of times when we went somewhere where our where our sense of ourselves and our sense of what was possible in the world was expanded. I want to submit to you this morning that I think that's what the psalmist wants to do with this this little psalm, Psalm 148. Because this Psalm 148 is actually an out and back. It's a little trip. It starts with all of God's people gathered in the temple, in the sanctuary, worshiping, praising And it goes all the way out to the farthest reaches of the heavens. But by the end of the psalm, we find ourselves back home again. And so I want us to pay attention to how this psalm might shape our sense of ourselves, our sense of identity in the world. Let this psalm, this little out and back that this psalm generates, do good work in us as the people of God this morning. Amen? You ready for that? You up for it? Okay. So let's start in verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. 
In this opening here, the psalmist is basically saying, everyone who's gathered here, and this includes us, right? We're the people of God gathered this morning. Everyone who is gathered here, let me have your attention. Give me your attention. Whatever, your, whatever mundane thing your attention is focused on right now, whatever problem you're facing or whatever challenge you brought into this space this morning and, and it has your heart focused on it, I want you to take that attention and I want you to put it into the highest heavens because that's where we're going to start. And together, we are going to call the heavens to their highest purpose. We're going to bid the bodies, the, the heavenly bodies this morning, we're going to bid them to praise. We're going to command them together to praise. This is one of the rare instances in the Psalms where, where the heavenly bodies are not the sort of inspiration for praise. They're actually the agents of praise in the Psalms. They're the ones that are doing the praising, Right? Now, it's easy for us, I think, to kind of gloss over this language because we're so, particularly if you've been around for a long time, right? It's easy to start, you know, we say sun, moon, stars, blah, I know how this goes, right? And I think it's easy for us to, to lose the unimaginable boldness of this song. I want you to think about it. The, the people of God are gathered and the psalmist is saying, hey, turn to the heavens, the most fearsome bodies in the heavens, and turn to them and command them to worship. It's unimaginably bold. So I want us to do a little thing this morning, um, and my voice is going to break because I'm so excited about it. Um, um, I want us to do a little thing this morning. I want us to turn our eyes up to turn our eyes up to, to where I think the sun is, right? It's probably about right here, about right now, right? We all know it starts over here. And, and I'm going to address the sun this morning, right? Because that's what this, and I got a little speech together. I'm going to address the sun for us. And then we're all going to gather, we're all together going to command the sun, okay? So, because I want us to get a sense of what this really feels like to participate in this bidding these, these massive, fearsome bodies to praise. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Hey, son. Good morning, son. Um, we were just checking out your profile on space.com, and we know that you hold 99.8% of our solar system's mass. And we know that about a million Earths could fit inside of you, and that we would need to explode 100 billion tons of dynamite every second to match the energy you produce. We know that in spite of the fact that you are more than of 100 billion stars that are just in our Milky Way. Our entire physical existence as a planet depends on you. Son, this is all rather impressive to us. But we're here with a word for you this morning, son. As God's people, we come with a message for you. Son, you must praise him. Let's say it together. Praise him, son. One, two, three. Praise him, son. Do you feel the boldness of that? The sheer audacity of that? It's crazy. But the psalmist goes right for it. 
How can he possibly justify this level of audacity? How can he justify this kind of boldness? He does it in verse 5. Let's look at it. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. The psalmist can justify this boldness for us to participate in because all of creation owes its origin and its ongoing existence to the living God who commanded it into existence and whose power moment by moment sustains it forever. So God's people can stand before the sun and all of the heavens and all of the angels and say, praise him, praise him. The audacity of this psalm has not been lost on many different uh, religious leaders, uh, believers in history. And a long ago liturgist, um, we don't quite know who, obviously thought that it would be important for um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to have a song of deliverance after they came out of the fiery furnace. You know all the famous songs of deliverance that exist in the Old Testament, right? Um, And there was a writer that thought, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are missing like a powerful song of deliverance. So they wrote one. And when they wrote it, they used the frame of Psalm 148 for this song. And I think we can see why, right? You come out of the fiery furnace, right, where the most fearsome elements, some of the most fearsome elements of creation, you've been in contact with some of the most fearsome elements, and they were not able to harm you, right? I mean, in the battle between fire and skin, fire almost always wins, right? But not in this case. And so when, when the three Hebrew children walk out of that fiery furnace, this writer puts this psalm in their mouth. And I think it's interesting when we reflect upon it uh, because this psalm doesn't celebrate that God controls these elements, right? That's not what it celebrates. What it does is it levelizes these elements with the people of God. It turns them into co-praisers, right? It's almost like, you know, you're just sitting here and you look over and you're like, oh, hey, honey, uh, the moon just walked in and it's sitting over there in the next aisle. It's here to worship with us this morning, right? And all of a sudden, when these elements become co-praisers with us, they become less fearsome, and we see them in right perspective, right? This psalm was appended to this, 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 this little song that the writer wrote was so powerful that it actually got appended to Daniel chapter 3 uh, for the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. But it's not part of like the oldest original manuscript, so it's not in our Bible. But it does live on, and let me tell you where it lives. It lives in our prayer book. Um, it's part, it's one of the canticles for morning prayer. This beautiful little song of the three Hebrew children where they celebrate that all of these elements are co-praisers with God. 
And when I think about that, I think about the wisdom of those who put together the songbook, our, our prayer book. And I think about how most of us wake up in the morning and a lot of days we, we feel pretty small because of the things that we're facing, right? We think about the day and we think, oh, I feel small. I feel challenged by all the things that are in front of me. But the writers of the prayer book put that song, this psalm, in our mouths in the morning so that we might be reminded that we are co-praisers with the sun and the moon and the stars and all the angels. And that all of reality and all the things we're afraid of might be brought into perspective. I don't know what huge thing you're staring down this morning. I imagine in a room like this, there are probably some people staring down some pretty huge things. I just want to give you this word this morning from this psalm. The sun and the moon is a co-praiser of the living God who sustains you forever with him. Let's let this reality bring all of these challenges that we face into perspective. So after this sort of farthest out trip to the heavens, the psalmist starts to work his way closer back home. Let's look together, starting in verse 7. It says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men, and children. This is where we start to come back home. And where the psalmist says, it's not just these things that we might be afraid of that seem awesome and terrible, right? And that have tremendous power and control over us. It's not just these things in heavens. It's, it's fearsome things on the earth too. The psalmist bids all of creation itself from the sea monsters in the deep, in the deep itself, to kings and princes, all, to, all the way to the lowliest servant. He says he bids everyone, every created thing to praise. Now, I want to ask you, how can the psalmist possibly justify again the imposition of this bidding for people who don't acknowledge God's authority, or even know about the living God to honor his name. I mean, again, the psalmist is being incredibly bold. He's bidding people who are not submitted to God's authority, God's kingly authority in their hearts, to still praise him. I don't know about you, but in the context that I work in and where we live, it's almost more of a fearsome thing for me to think about bidding a neighbor that I know is not a God follower, right? Or a coworker. It's almost a more fearsome thing for me to think of bidding that person to praise God than it is to talk to the son, right? We live in an environment where we're the inheritors of, of sort of the years of damage 
of, of people sort of demanding, right? Yelling across the divide, the cultural divide, to submit and praise to people who don't believe, right? And we've seen the damage that that's done. And, and we don't want to repeat that, right? We don't want to repeat it. But this morning, I want to submit to you that what I find often are that most of the people yelling across the cultural divide at others and asking them to praise and submit to a God they don't know and understand, most of those people in my experience have had their ideas about kingly authority more shaped by earthly kings than by King Jesus. And when we think about asking a person who doesn't know God to come in contact with Jesus in his kingly realm, I'm a lot less afraid of that, right? Because there isn't seen within it, because we trust Jesus. There isn't seen within it a religious will to power that we know is the type of thing that does so much damage. When I think about Jesus in his kingdom, right? Because when we read about this here and his name and his authority as the king, right? We're Christians. So the way we interpret this now is by thinking about it through the lens of the most full and clear revelation of God that we have. Who is Jesus? As Archbishop Michael Ramsey said, God is Christ-like and in him there is no unchristlikeness at all, right? So I am much more encouraged and heartened to bring people who don't know God to come and see Jesus in his kingly reign, right? His kingdom is justice and peace and joy. I mean, the fundamental ethic of his kingdom is the way of self-giving, self-sacrificing love. In his kingdom, the greatest people are servants. I mean, if you meet him in the street, and you're not going his way, it's very likely that once you encounter him, you'll turn and go his way. You know why? Not because he forced you to it, put you under his thumb, but because you encountered kindness like you've never experienced it before. And that kindness is what turns you. This king is lowly, and he raises up the lowly. This king gives the earth to the meek. What I don't want us to do this morning is to back away from this charge to bid those who don't know God to praise because we're afraid of all the people that have done it poorly in the past, right? It is on us to expose people to this King Jesus and show them what he is really like, that they might see him and respond with awe and respond with delight. So now we come to the end of this little out and back. We find it in verse, in verse 14. And in verse, verse 14, there is a final reason for praise in this heaven and earth sanctuary, right? This is what the psalmist has done. 
He says, we started off, you were in the sanctuary. We went out into the all of creation. And guess what we discovered? Everywhere is a sanctuary for the living God. But now we're back home to encounter the final reason for praise. And the final reason for praise that the psalmist offers is a bit of a surprise. And I imagine the first time that people heard it, it was so novel it caught them off guard. The final reason for praise is that God has aligned himself with his life to a people that he loves. And he has drawn near to them, and they have drawn near to him. I want you to think about it. We praise because he's the creator. We praise because he is the great and good king. And we praise because he has sought relationship with us. This morning, may this little out and back shape us. May this little journey out to the heavens and back home here with God's people shape us. May it shape our week. May it shape our days. As we see all of the world, all of the created order is a sanctuary where God's people dwell in closeness and nearness with him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.